When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you fancy managing FC United across Europe? While Manchester United may not be in Europe for the second half of this season, FC United still are. It's probably the friendliest competitive football competition in the world. Hello, producer Seb here. I just want to grab your attention for a couple of minutes before this week's midweek edition of the Manchester's Red podcast with Samuel Luckhurst and Stephen Railston. At the end of this episode, there is a 12-minute feature that myself and Tyrone shot last week at FC United. FC United are in at the Phoenix Trophy, which is a European competition for community and non-league clubs with a reason to be in it. It's not just the big teams qualifying. There's a story behind every single participant. Thank you for watching, and I'll now hand you over to Stephen and Samuel. Hello and welcome to the midweek edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston, I'm your host. I'm joined by Samuel Luckhurst uh, for this episode. And today we're going to have a look at Dan Ashworth and his uh, impending move to Manchester United, get into a bit of uh, Kylian Mbappe transfer news and look at how that might affect Marcus Rashford, who has had previous interest from PSG. And at the back end of the podcast, we'll look at some academy bits because it was a mini Manchester derby on Monday night. But before we do that, Samuel, how are you? Did you have a good weekend and your trip to Luton? I'm not bad, thank you. Very well. Um, I'm, I'm actually wondering if you were right, Stephen. You don't sound as chirpy as you as you normally do, but but maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it. Or maybe it's these gigantic headphones that I'm having to wear because I've mislaid my, my AirPods. See, what... what Whenever I have a heavy weekend on the BL, Samuel, my voice, it takes a little while to recover, I think. I don't sound as chipper. Um, I come down with illness, I think. That's my excuse. But it was my birthday the other weekend, Samuel. You, you've, so. you've, it's, it's, the, it's the Marcus Rashford tribute. <laughs> again, again. Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, as you can imagine, I, I celebrated appropriately across Friday and Saturday and had an easy one on Sunday afternoon where, with a family meal, etc. So that was nice. Um, but football news anyway, Samuel. Dan Ashworth, massive news coming from the northeast and down to the northwest. He's obviously now being placed on gardening leave I mean you wrote in December that Ashworth was Ineos's prime target and you just reminded me what I said on, on one of the previous podcasts but we'll not give that a mention um, but but that's it. that that is the next step to Ashworth officially joining the club and look Newcastle are going to play a hardball in negotiations aren't they because at the end of the day their sporting directors he's about to be poached yeah, I think the posturing is is inevitable and, and also understandable. They will do their utmost to drive a hard bargain, but I suspect that when it comes to the small print of Ashworth's contract and the legal matters that come into these things, I think it will be very, very difficult for Newcastle to demand £10 million from United for him, never mind this £20 million t- figure that's been touted and is probably quite fanciful as well the way these things work out whenever as a sporting director gone for that amount of money it's not as simple as saying well United paid 80 million or 80 million for Anthony do you not think that they should be spending 
similar amount to that for Dan Ashworth. It just does not work out that way. United want Ashworth. Ashworth wants to go uh, to United. And obviously, after that story initially came out last week, uh, I think it was Luke Edwards who did the line about Newcastle, fearing that Ashworth might go. And then I was fortunately able to get the steer that, that he actually wants the United role. And, and United aren't even considering anyone else. It's just all on Dan Ashworth. They're that impressed with him. He's got... Uh, a relationship there with Dave, so Dave Browsford that goes back a number of years. I think those were his words, not not mine either. Uh, Ashworth said that when Browsworth made that presentation to Newcastle before the start of last season. Newcastle's official communication described him as a, a close friend and associate of Dan Ashworth. And as you said, that was almost the Trojan horse, wasn't it? Getting there, so Dave Brailsford to come in and speak to Newcastle players, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they've uh, they've not deleted the tweet yet. Maybe it, um, it's it's one of those that hasn't amassed too many retweets yet. Uh, Ala Omar Barada's uh, musings on United when he was on the other side at City, and 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 his his search history on Twitter was obviously dragged up by by plenty of supporters. But with this, I, I think it's kind of played out as expected so far. Whenever there's a big move between clubs, I think the Brighton. Uh, sporting director has been placed on gardening leave as well today because it looks like he's becoming, he's about to become the latest to to move to Chelsea. Gardening leave is something that happens. It happened. I think the first time I heard the phrase was when Peter Kenyon left Manchester United, um, where he was the chief executive to to join Chelsea, and this was this was about two or three months into the Abramovich era, and of course here's a new era under Ineos at United and. They're making some some very ambitious moves. They've already taken Barada from City. He's going to serve his period of gardening leave and then start in the summer. And with Ashworth, I, I think it you know time is very much of the essence because of course there's a transfer window coming up. All summer transfer windows are important, but this one, especially so for United, where you've got new investors coming in and overseeing the football operations, are they able to get Rash uh, to get Ashworth in in time? So that he's able to to oversee recruitment because it's around this time of year that you've that you're not compiling your short list of players of targets for the summer. Uh, you have compiled them by now. That that was what United were preaching four or five years ago. That come January, by the end of it, they would have settled on their list of targets, and then it'd be a case of going out and trying to execute the deals, speaking to the player, the player's agent, touching base with the club, and you know trying to put in really trying to put the framework into place for signing these players. How fun must Gordon and Leaf be? I mean, he's still getting paid. And I mean, he's not literally tending to his garden, is he, Samuel? Dan Ashworth's not going to be plucking out planting way, flowers. Yes, yeah, so Manchester's not very nice at the moment. And Barada's obviously enjoying his. Well, I hope he's enjoying his uh, spell of garden and leave. We don't get it in, uh, in journalism, do we? It'd be quite interesting no, if we did. No, 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 no. It's... Um, I think in a way, it probably, I think a lot of people, you, you may find it as well, that when you've got a lot of time on your hands and nothing to do, it, it can be quite un, unsettling. I think a lot of people... Uh, you just rewatched The Sopranos or something like that. I, I was I was doing that around, it, there wasn't much to much gardening to do even when, when it was locked down. But yeah, I was I was watching a hell of a lot of The Sopranos in between uh, uh, doing do, doing the, the, the unusual day job as it was back then when they were what? 10, 10 weeks without football or whatever it was yeah not not the um not the best of times as we all uh, as we all remember wasn't very fun no not at all um in terms of how long it'll actually be then i mean there's been a suggestion it'll be a year minimum um just i mean like as you said two years is, is probably a fanciful suggestion it, i guess it relies on negotiations though and, and as i said newcastle are going to play a hardball because at the end of the day a club have walked in and let's not forget 
they only appointed Dashworth in uh, summer of 2022. I think it was Ju- June 2022. I should really know that. It's June or July. Um, anyways, and the deal was done in. I think the deal with well, Brighton was announced in the February, and then he yeah, started. Yeah, because he, in the he had a period of gardening leave with Brighton himself, of course. Um, but then Newcastle have had this guy Porched, who they thought they were going to have at St James's Park for a good few years, but it's clearly not going to be the case. No, and uh, again, I think it's it's a statement of intent from from Minios to to go for Ashworth because he is one that is he's possibly the best in class in terms of British. And it was always telling that he was their only target, wasn't it? I mean, that's a, it was a statement yeah. in itself. There were a lot, there were the usual names thrown about. Michael Edwards was one that was thrown about. Paul Mitchell was thrown about because I think he's I'm not even sure he's at Monaco anymore. And of course it's always like, well, he worked in Monaco and Jim Ratcliffe lives in Monaco. I'm not so sure. I would think that interest? Paul Mitchell actually exists if I didn't see him at a game once. Um, it was Monaco under-21s playing United's under-21s a while back. And he, was, uh, he was in the director's box, I remember tweeting it. But he's one of those, one of those names Ralph that's Ranyuk, banded around he? all the time. I don't think he was there for Ranyuk that day, but he has he been visible a few times, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he would start with Rangnick for, it might have been a Youth Cup game that was played at Old Trafford, uh, maybe the quarterfinal, I'm not too sure. He's from uh, Greater Manchester. He's obviously got local from links. From so. Bridge. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that was what United told me at the time. I, I, I don't know who was at the game for us that night, but it would have been someone. But I text someone at United, and they just said, "Oh, he's here seeing family and over for a game." And he knows Rangnick from um, the, the previous days, the Red Bull Group. So he decided to um, to, to take that game in. But uh, as I said, you know, I think with with these stories, you can always it's easy to write too much on. On, on big issues and I think the, the the investment by Ineos was an example of it it was less is more really there was so much there was a lot of there was a lot of dross really written by uh, by certain people out there regarding that whole um, non-takeover because of course it's you know the, the Glazer family are still are still at Manchester United and I think with the sporting director role as well it's you know you could it, it can be like a transfer story you can say oh they want this player that player and the other player for this position they could go for this one and that one or the other but the only one I've ever you know heard anything credible about was was Ashworth which was hence why I did the story back in um, late late November or early December whenever it was I can't quite remember when and of course that's why it was followed up with that line last week and it got to the point on Friday where United were, you know, uh, privately uh, c- confirming their interest and their intention to get him. Because of course, where where Ineos is still not technically on on the board yet, it is going to happen this week. But there's there can still be you know, these uh, not not miscommunications, but people at United are not as necessarily as in the loop as people at Ineos, even though they work for Manchester United. So. There could be a bit of a time lag there, but it seems like they are all on the on the same page now because they they obviously have to be in and in, in Ineos. I think maybe in the next match day program, there's every chance that Sir Jim Ratcliffe's name will feature uh, on on that contents page where it lists the the club directors. Would it be pointless to uh, speculate on a, the kind of fee that could be paid for Ashworth then? I mean, I no think good so. sport and directors worth twenty million other. Um, but I think it's a point to make that it will have an impact on FFP. Um, United have to work within these uh, obviously parameters, parameters at the moment. Yeah. yeah, and then Newcastle as well. Ironically, Dan Ashworth's probably leaving, but one of the reasons he's leaving because they're slightly hamstrung at the moment with FFP. And United, if they're going to pay, let's say, ten fifty million for Ashworth, it, it could help Newcastle in that regard. Well, yes, and that was something that United uh, ref- people at United referred to when, <clears throat> when, when obviously they started, you know, 
talking more candidly about Ash Ashworth, it was that, that they they didn't want to sort out Newcastle's FFP problems, and that I've definitely heard that somewhere else from someone um, someone who used to work at United. Uh, it, I'm not sure if it might have been about FFP, but it was something financial related and d- dealing with a club and and making life easier for them. And so it's 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 part of a script that they've used before. I think it's fair to say, and they're not just going to say, "Well, yeah, we'll pay whatever it takes," because look look what's happened in recent years when they've paid whatever it takes to get this player, that player, or the other player. More often than not, it's not worked out well, and that's been a stick to beat them with. And Clearly, Ineos are going to try and change that culture where they have just fritted so so many millions. And of course, it is different with Ashworth because of his of his of his clout. It's not just the recruitment; it's the way he's gone about choosing managers. I, I would, I think it's safe. To, I think it's fair to say that he would have laid down some groundwork in Brighton getting Deserby, because Brighton were absolutely prepared for when Potter went as to who they would go for. And given the, the, the that, way they actually operate, I think he, I think he did an interview with the he was technical director of Brighton, wasn't he? And he did an interview with a couple of other members of staff. And the way they actually operate with managers, they've already got a list of ten managers who could actually succeed the current one. It's fascinating the way they operate, and it's same with players as well. I mean, their scouting network unique, and I think that's something huge that that Ashworth will improve at Manchester United is the scouting network. I mean, United have got scouts all in every corner of the world, but yeah, you look at the spending record, and it's it's been really really poor. So that can only improve when he comes on board. There's no reason why you can't apply the method that is some of the methods that have been used at Brighton uh, under Ashworth to the to Manchester United. I know they are very very different clubs. Brighton have to, you know, in terms of scouting players, they there's a specific yeah. You know, there's always going to be a cap on how much they can spend on a player. But that said, when they signed Moises Caicedo, he was a player that United were in for. There were other players, you, you look at how brilliant they are for Brighton and you think, well, why didn't United go for him? Or what was the United scout on that patch doing to not come across this player? And sometimes I think it was... Uh, well, the answer Rich. to that, Samuel, is he, he wasn't Dutch and he didn't play in the Eredivisie. <laughs> That's a come on, you know that answer. Well, well Rich, Rich has, has said before about, was it Alfonso Davies? And of course, there was the infamous uh, Frankie Diong and... Uh, Matthijs Stilit and Deo Meccano, these players that are recommended by Derek Langley. So sometimes they are spotting them, but the power brokers are not making are not making the right decisions. So it's, it's clearly going to be a combination. I mean, I, I in uh, researching something the other day, I came across those quotes from Marcel Boot, who somehow stayed on at United as head of global scouting for for six years, and he was complaining about the politics at the club and how it was a political decision to get rid of him. And I'm thinking, you, come on, pal, you you were Dutch. If anyone was going to stay on at United, it would have been one of the Dutch guys, but they they decided to get rid of you because you shouldn't have you been there in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was so, it was so, so bizarre that Ed Woodward, who was privately scathing of Louis van Gaal's recruitment, and dug out specific players. Uh, two of them, I think it was Morgan Schneider and Daly Blind as ununited players. And then Marcel Boot was the only surviving member of Louis van Gaal's staff, and he was made head of global scouting. It, it just it didn't co- it didn't compute whatsoever because Boot uh, was the guy who was assisting van Gaal with uh, recruiting players. They were the two who would essentially make the decision on the players that they should get and who was who, who would be ideal for them. And then they'd give the list to Woodward and Woodward go, would go off and, you know, 
reach for the moon and end up as i said signing morgan schneidlin who in fairness at the time he was he was seen as quite an astute bye by united but he was anything he turned out to be anything but but that was just the strange that that was something that none of us could ever work out and that was that was a guy who had the title of head of global scouting um i think he, he popped up every now and then because he's got this you know he's got this quite wild um like wild head of grey hair so he's he's quite conspicuous if he's a scout going to a game it's not someone who's going to be incognito and he did go and watch Haaland when he played I think it was his last appearance for uh, Red Bull Salzburg I think he did he was spotted watching Martin Odegaard play as well when he was in Spain uh, you know you can guess who the nationality of the Manchester United manager was at that time looking at two Norwegian players and 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 Marcel Boot happens to be clocked watching both of them, but yeah, he he can complain about all that he all that all he wants. There was there's definitely been a fundamental problem with the scouting structure at United, and at times there have been two scouts going from United at the same game bumping into each other, and it's 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 just chaotic. There's no organisation there. Why are they both there? And they bump into each other, having met a handful of times at a scouting meeting at Old Trafford. And it's, oh, am I supposed to be here? Or are you, are you not supposed to be here? It's, um, I mean, it's, some of them are just also a little bit peculiar. There's one, I think he's still the Eastern European scout, P- Piotr Sadowski, who did some video chat that was on YouTube. So you can't get a more public video platform than that. Uh, around the time of the pandemic talking about you know how the transfer window might reopen and you know i think ap had written up the quotes we we spotted it and i ended up writing up the quotes and then he was on to me asking me to take them down and not quote him clearly paranoid because he might get in trouble with someone or the other and in the end he blocked me i don't know why he's still on the payroll at united i think he needs to find a different line of work if he's acting like that it was most most unusual to say this to say the least I'm not sure what people expect when they're going on a YouTube video. As you see, it's a very public platform, likely for the press to, to catch it up. You're leaving yourself to... That YouTube video is still... That video is still, still up as well. As well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't yeah, surprise yeah. us. That but as soon as it gets a bit of prominence, it's, oh, oh God, what, what, what am I, what I going to do? Can <laughs> you please set that down? Yeah. Ridiculous uh, behaviour. We'll leave it there for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Samuel, Killian, Bappe, how exciting. Who knew he was going to go to Real Madrid? Who knew he was going to leave PSG? Now, he's obviously not officially uh, signing for, for Los Blancos, but he has told PSG that he's leaving and inevitably he will go to Bernabeu, won't he? Um, more on the point of how that actually relates to United. I mean, obviously PSG have shown an interest in Marcus Rashford over the last few years. I mean, I remember that game. Um, when Ranić dropped them against Manchester City and uh, was it March 2022 or April 2022 I think it was March um, and Pogba was playing up front and Rashford had enough and obviously stories came out that he was considering his future I think that was also the time that his brother was meeting with PSG etc um, but now this season obviously he's been in and out his performance has been very mixed after, after an excellent campaign and we have talked on this podcast a few times whether it would be best to move Marcus Rashford on and we have said that the probably is a conversation to be had in the summer. Now, if Mbappe's going to Madrid, that would open a, a large part of their budget. Could we see PSG making an offer for, for Marcus Rashford? The, what, what interests me most in this very uninteresting event is how El Chiringuito reacts to it. 
Uh, Can I just say I I, did, I don't want to I didn't choose to speak about this as well. We, we get certain guides. No, 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 Samuel. no. I, I think I think we've got to give a shout out to yeah. that that guy. Um, was it? I, I think his name was. Uh, it might have been Jose Jose Diaz or something like that. But he but when Mbappe rejected PSG in um, in 2022, he he turned to the camera and he was dead serious. He said, "You'll be a great you'll be a great player, but never a great man." Uh, and of course, this this great player is about to finally join Real Madrid, which is a club he sh- really should have moved to at least two years ago. And uh, it's it's been in the post for a long, long time. He has, I'd, I'd hesitate to say he's wasted away at PSG because this is someone who has still won the World Cup. How old is he now? Is he 26? I think he might be a bit younger than that, you know. He's 25. So he's, yeah. 25, yeah. 22 and 25 in December as well, so... I mean, he's still got all of his best years. I still think I still look at him as being younger than that as well. I, d- I don't know why because he has he has been around. You know, he's, people have been aware of him for a good what seven years now. It was you, you talk about me or Kylian Mbappe? No, well, possibly both. <laughs> I think you've been around for for nearly as long as well. But he's you know he he's not wasted away at uh, PSG scoring in, in a World Cup final win, scoring a hat trick in another World Cup final. But he he really should have got out of there a lot earlier than than he did. It was it, it was daft what he did a couple of years ago, and it's 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 not gone well for him either. I mean, you you only have to look at how PSG have tried to rebrand themselves now, and they, they don't have as many superstars anymore. Whereas was it the summer of twenty one? You are signing up Messi on a free. Donnarumma came in, Sergio Ramos came in. Uh, you already had Mbappe and Neymar there, and it. It's you know it's classic football manager fare and yeah it might get you the, the the Liga title but it's not it's not taking them any closer to win the Champions League. I think the only time they've they've really done reasonably well in the Champions League was when they got to the final under Thomas Tuchel in in twenty twenty and he uh, he was he was gone what by by the end of the year because he was at, he was at Chelsea the midway through um, the the next season. But in, in regards to Mbappe going from PSG. They are. There's obviously a void there. I know they've got, they have got existing players that suggest that they can, they can get by without him. You've got Gonzalo Ramos and Usman Dembele and uh, Randall Colo Moani. I mean, that's 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 a front three there and there. I, it's it's not going to cut mustard. I don't think with. Do, do uh, you know what I'm in Rashford? With, it would be a huge statement for for those in France. I mean, coming to Manchester United, the biggest club in England, and we've talked about Rashford being the poster boy, and kind of prizing him away. I feel like that could be a statement, especially after Mbappe leaves, and you you kind of need to make one. I think as as far as a statement would go, I think it would probably be undermined by the circumstance of it, because I think if he were to leave United, it would be almost a much as much a case of Avinios pushing for him to be allowed to go as as it is him him wanting to leave United. Pierce Pierce are one of a handful of clubs in the world who can um offer Rashford parity and the salaries on at United weighs on about 325 grand a week. If we're to take Saudi Arabian clubs out of the equation and at this stage I, I don't think any of us are necessarily anticipating Rashford moving into a retirement home um at the age of 26 and just you know t- tossing off the rest of his career that that is for players who have, have been there and done it all to do but as i said you know, with in terms of it would it be a statement he's already he, he signed a new contract last year so he's going to be expensive he's going to cost probably the best part of 
um, of a nine-figure fee. Maybe he could command a nine-figure fee. I, I'd say that's doubtful on his form so far this season, but there is still time uh, for him to pick up form and maybe get get his his value soaring again. But that said, I think there are a few players at United this summer who they can get you know they they can get decent fees for if they are proactive about selling and if they're actually very decisive about it because he's he's done very very well this season particularly given his starting point but there is still a compelling case to sell Scott McTominay in the summer he's out of contract next PSG year to replace Mbappe <laughs> I'm not too I, I think there might be rights he has in Paris seven if, goals. There, there might be more rights in Paris if, if, if that happened but McTominay is clearly going to have big resale value in the summer because he's doing well this season. He's going to play at the Euros for, for Scotland and his contract is it, it is running out. It's got a maximum expiry date of 2026. But you can also equally see United giving him a new long-term contract. But with these profitability and sustainability rules, there must be the temptation there for them to look at him and say, look, he's a squad player. He does well for us. We've he would represent a pure profit because he's come through the academy and we could be getting upwards of 40 million pounds for someone who's going into the last two years of their contract and with Rashford uh, if you're looking at I don't know around 75 million pounds I think that's that's fair given his age the, his his ceiling uh, his marketability all those buzzwords then that's a hell of a lot of money you've generated in just selling possibly selling two players so it, look, I think the Ineos, it's in their interest to separate themselves from what the previous regime did. And the previous regime, whenever there was a chance for a player leaving, they'd, they'd go, oh, we need to give him a new contract. It'd be rush, give, give him a new contract, get the paperwork, give, give him a new contract. They did it with Victor Lindelof when he was two years into a five-year contract. That's how ridiculous and useless these people were running Manchester United. Just because there were some reports in Mundo Deportivo about Barcelona liking the look of him, they thought we must give him a new contract. Nobody decided to tell his agent, yes, he did quite well last season, but also, do you know that last season was our worst defensive season in 40 years? You can and really earn a contract. This is why the midweek podcast us. is better, Samuel. This kind of content, I know you hear that with the, the this rough kind of and ready. Yes, yeah, rough exactly. and ready. <laughs> but look, I, I can't go through the amount of contracts that United have doled out impetuously or naively or, or, or ridiculously. I did. I did a piece on it last month, in fact, and. The more I was writing about it, I was thinking, oh, there was that name as well and that name. Well, a lot of that was Ed Woodward as well, though, Samuel, wasn't yes, it? I mean, it the amount of mistakes yeah. he made was just incredible. Yes, but also uh, you look at, I mean, I, I don't agree with it at the time, but there were some United fans who thought, you know what, with Rashford, maybe we should get rid, um, even last season. Not not many, not many at all. It wasn't, it was hardly newsworthy. It has been a lot, you know, there has been a lot of palpable discord from match goes towards Rashford this season and I think if you were to do a poll on whether he should go, as I said, I think, I don't know if I said it on a previous podcast, but there was a red issue poll on whether he should be sold and 96% said yes. Now, those... those Can you remember which performance that was after? Because that would have a big bearing, wouldn't it? It would have a big bearing. And I think it was unsurprisingly after the Newport game, which of course he was absent for. So his approval ratings down at that point would have been on the floor. Uh, as as he was on, on in Belfast as well that time, and of course since then he did score a nice goal against Wolves, but his performance level it's it's not been it's not been memorable. Uh, I mean against West Ham it's difficult to remember whether he played well or whether he played badly. 
at Villa Park, he was taken off and that was completely uh, vindicated uh, in that McTominay scored the winning goal. I thought he was, you know, most of the front six had an off day at the weekend and, and he was one of them. So his performance level is not, it's not like he's come back into the team, scored a brilliant goal against Wolves and it's gone like so that. I mean, surely considering that then, if let's look at this player who's in and out, he has a fantastic season, he might score 30 goals, 25 goals in all competitions. Then he throws in an absolute stinker one year, which tends to be the, the pattern really with Rashford. Surely getting 75 million for a player like that and, and an academy graduate, so massive for FFP, that would be a no-brainer on the face of it. I completely agree with you on that. I don't think you can quibble about, oh no, he's worth a lot more than that. If you're getting 75 million pounds for a player as a Premier League club, when you've got the profitability and sustainability rules that you're mindful of at every turn, you can't turn your nose up at that. And would he go to Liga and tear it up? Yes, he probably would. But people aren't going to be watching that and saying, "Cracky, United have really dropped the ball with with Rashford because he's, uh, you know, pummeling Lorient this week or, or Nice the next week or Saint Etienne." It's it's a league where players of his ability are expected to go and tear it up. Mbappe's already PSG's highest scorer, has scored some like two hundred and forty odd goals there. So. I think that if, as I said, one of you, I said it a few weeks ago, one of United's best ever seasons under Ferguson was 95-96. And it started with three very, very bold sales. Now, you could go through Ferguson's book, Konchalskis' book, go through interviews with Hughes and, Conch- and, and Ince, and there would be a lot of revisionism. There would be a lot of you know, uh, inconsistencies with how they played out but ultimately Ferguson was sanguine with selling those three very senior players not signing a single player and trusting the class of 92 and, and Phil Neville coming do, in do you generally think that would double. have happened in 2024 if, if Ferguson had made those decisions with the way the media is with the way the press it's a lot it's a oh, way more intensely have. covered now with social media etc he, he, he would have he would not have cared less about that if he if he if he was certain it was the right decision for the club and also the right decision for him because he was he, he, he was a tyrant let's face it he was a great tyrant but he refused to entertain anyone who was ever going to get above their station he would do it he wouldn't hesitate about that whether there was twitter or no twitter or social media or no social media uh and and he had you know the, the paper, newspapers back well, in the backlash the, was still intense back very, then. yeah yeah it absolutely yeah. was and there was a i think there was a phone in that summer there was a poll in the men as to whether ferguson should should go on the back of these sales and um and the majority voted for him to be to, to be sacked because these players had been had been sold so that's um that that's how you know, that, that that gives you an idea of how much uh, how much unhappiness there was among the fan base that these these three players who are three firm fan favorites were being sold and also nobody was being signed to replace them. They sometimes have to make big decisions and uh, Marcus Rashford will right. be on the end of one this summer, he certainly could. Uh, that'll be it for part two and we'll be back in a moment for part three. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now we'll just end with some academy bits as mentioned. I was across at Lee Sports Village on Monday night. <clears throat> it wasn't as cold as I thought it would be, Samuel, which was always welcome. It's February now, it's starting to get a bit warmer, isn't it? Because Lee is famously cold. Um, I have my gloves on and my hat though. Um, United won 2-1 against City, which was a, a great little result. 
City's Academy having a really poor year. They're actually bottom of the division, which is bizarre because they've won the Premier League two, three years in a row, and they're having a massive tail off, which is quite stark to see. But there's, I mean, there's a few reasons for that. I was talking to our, our colleague Joe Bray, um, exactly why that's happening. But nonetheless, a good performance for United, Samuel. Um, and I, th- I thought it was just worth mentioning Tom Huddleston because he scored the second goal. He scored the match winner. And I always laugh whenever someone goes to watch the under 21s for the first time um, and they sit next to me in the press box. They go, God, look at Tom Huddleston, they watch him and they're, they're always amazed at the role he plays. And for anyone who doesn't know, Tom Huddleston's got a, a player-coach role or kind of a coach-player role where he plays occasional games, he coaches the, the team in training. And the idea is he can give on-field feedback in real time and instructions with the players and kind of relay coaches' information. And it's, it's worked really well at United. Uh, Paul McShane was obviously the guy who had that role previously. And other clubs have copied now. So Liverpool have brought in Jay Spearing uh, across uh, Merseyside again, which... Obviously, looks a bit strange to have a former player, Jay Spearin, playing against uh, playing for the under twenty ones, or seeing Tom Huddleston play for the under twenty ones. But it does work. Um, you were in Carrington recently, Samuel. I've obviously done chats with uh, Travis Binion, etc. in the last few months. But you were in uh, to speak with Nick Cox, weren't you? So how did that go down? Because he always seems like quite an engaging talker when he speaks. He's he is very engaging. He also uh, is a a dead ringer for Simon Peach, which is a. <laughs> Is, is a lookalike that he's embraced to the point that he he, he nicknames uh, Simon Mirror, which is, is quite amusing. But he said at the end of um, our chat, he said, "Oh, I must be a nightmare to transcribe," and that's because he he talks he talks so much. But you'd much rather have a fifty odd minute transcript to, to write up than a than a five minute transcript after an interview. He's uh, he's extremely engaging, very amiable, very enthusiastic. Given, I mean. You mentioned the United Academy and all these images flood into your mind. But even since he um, became Academy head in 2019, it's it's been a tremendous time when you look at the number of debuts they've had, the number of players who've settled into the first team, who've become undroppable in the first team, the FA Youth Cup win in 2022 as well, uh, some of the, the recruitment decisions they've made. I mean, whatever happens with, with Nick Cox, and I think it would be ridiculous if he was to be in if, if his role was in jeopardy as amid these planned changes from from Ineos I'm not saying that's the case at all either but whatever happens with him his legacy is always going to be Garnacho because he was the one who did the zoom call with Garnacho and, and his family via a translator during lockdown he told the story recently didn't he where he had I think it was his yeah, two children in the background <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a great feature in a <clears throat> in the matchday program from the the West Ham game where I think these two lads at the time were these two lads are Sheffield United fans as well so they didn't have as much uh, skin in the game as they might have if 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 they were United supporters but they were they were having a, uh, a bit of an argument outside apparently over the Xbox and he he, he jokes them now if if that argument got any worse it might have cost cost us signing Alejandro Garnacho and he he did relay that anecdote to to Garnacho and he was amused by it and actually signed the program where the uh, where the, um, uh, the the feature is, so it was, it was a nice touch from him. But yes, the uh, part of that chat has already come out where uh, we, we were a couple of us were allowed into this this new um, building. It's mainly for the women's team at Carrington, just in front of the academy building. But it does also house the academy um, the academy gym in there as well, which is is very impressive. There are. Uh, pictures on the wall of uh, these Scott McTominay, Tom. Actually, Heaton. I've got a bone to pick with you, Samuel. I think your intro was exactly the same as mine. Have you been stealing from my work? I can't say I have. I can't say <laughs> do, I have. Do you know but what? I it writes itself. You, it's it's the words on the gym wall, isn't it? 
oh, it was yes, when I spoke yeah. to Adam Lawrence in December. I mean, I've, I've, the club have kindly invited us in for a few chats this season um, between me and Samuel and, and whatnot. Um, obviously, Adam Lawrence, Travis Binion, and now Nick Park. So, yeah, when I went in and spoke to Adam Lawrence, I think that's the that was my intro to the Youth Cup piece. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, colour like that, you can't really turn your yeah. nose up. At. If you're, just for, from a journalistic perspective, if you're able, if you've got the privilege of, of seeing something that somebody else is is unable to see, then then great, go with it. I mean, that was, it, it made my intro at the, at the weekend at Luton, watching the warm-up, I saw... Uh, Hoyland miss hit a right footer and it still went in and yeah that that's the set way it's the going for him at the moment. Yeah, it did it's set the tone, tone absolutely. So I was particularly pleased uh, that he he got a couple of goals and he was the match winner again for United. Um, but yes, yeah, so, some of that chat has already come out uh, on you know on various things. But there's there's due to be another one this week that's more specific about Garnacho and and him coming over to England and. And the, uh, the 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 makeshift surroundings that uh, he was first that 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 he uh, that he first saw as a as trying a to see United player. Oh, okay, I was, thought you were going to you were talking about his digs. I thought you were going to say was his digs not? Uh, no, no, no. It's it was, quite the same as uh, his house in Madrid. No, his his family moved over with him, but uh, because of COVID and the bubbles and uh, all these protocols that they had to adhere to, he. He had a, a very different experience to the daily one he now has at Carrington. I mean, those players who came across that summer, we've mentioned them a few times, obviously, Ganacho, Alvaro Fernandez, Mark Dorado, all came across from Spain in the same year. And let, like they came across in such difficult circumstances. I mean, to a new country, you can't speak English. It's bloody locked down because of all the COVID restrictions. So to settle in and to thrive is, is really impressive. Um, in terms of the actual academy graduates number then, Simon, we're coming into an important landmark um, 249 players have made their, their senior debuts for the club which is a remarkable achievement Amori Forson was the last one Kambuala before him Dan Gore Kobe Mainu Charlie McNeil uh, Alejandro Ganacho and can you name the one before that because it might throw you off in terms of who who made them most recently so I'll, I'll, I'll rewind back in, in order and then you can guess the one after the name I say so Amori uh, Forson Willie Kambuala Dan Gore Kobe Mainu Charlie McNeil Alejandro Ganacho who was the person to make his debut before Alejandro Canacho? Charlie Savage and Zidanek Bell? It is a trick question because, I mean, it was fantastic because it was Zidanek Bell and Charlie Savage after Tom Heaton, as producer Seb has just put I into guess. the... Yeah, yeah. Which it was a trick question because he's, he's celebrating there in the chat because he's not exactly a young lad, is he? It was, it was great um, at the end of that season. United, um, they sent out some background on what a great season it had been for the academy winning the youth cup which was and is like and we had these academy debutants and it was listing all these young players and tom Heaton. <laughs> they still named tom Heaton man and i thought well in fairness you know he, he does he does yeah. qualify he's well, he's about I did like twice him. the age of them all but yeah do you know after the carabao cup when the lads won the pitch and they got all the academy graduates together and that made a really nice photo i imagine that's up at carrot and somewhere somewhere as well on the walls oh um, yes yeah yeah but, but in terms of who could be that 250th person i think that's the conversation i mean joe hugel he's went on london burton um, Sam Mava has been increasingly involved with first team, first team training in recent weeks. He actually got sent off last night, um, which was interesting. But it, it's going to be a fantastic uh, achievement to celebrate when that does happen. It does. Uh, our former boss is is not happy with Sam Mava because he's he's been sent on loan to Rochdale, but I don't think he's actually stepped foot in Rochdale and, and neither has, has Sam Murray so far as part of this this yeah. work experience scheme that uh, and and Rochdale have had a game uh, postponed tonight as well due to their their dreadful pitch. So it, it remains to be seen when they'll they'll make their their national league debuts. 
but we when when Forsen came on and obviously it was everyone knew that was two four nine. Um, people at the club were saying, well, hope, hopefully Newport's an opportunity. And I thought at the back of my mind, there were some big hitters coming back for that game. And the way Ten Hag operates, I'm not even sure there'll be a player on the bench for that game who's who's never played for United. And obviously, as it turned out, there there wasn't. Everyone in the squad that day, apart from Altai Bayandir, had had played for the club already. And, and Forson was, was the most recent one. I, th- I think some fans were maybe a little bit surprised that Hugel was allowed to go on loan, given that he, he has, from what I'm told, like he's made quite a good impression on, on Ten Hag. And of course, it's great for his development that he's able to go out and get some regular football. And you, you obviously saw him there last night as well, uh, where he's on loan at Burton, but he was able to come back and, and watch the game at Lee. I mean, yeah, it's, it's quite admirable of him that he, he wants to spend a, uh, a Monday evening at, at Lee Sports Village. I think most would would do their utmost to get out of it, but he's you know he was there and very supportive. But I think he would have definitely had a chance and probably almost been a shoe in to be that two hundred fiftieth player to uh, academy player to to make their debut for the first team. But now I I think we may have to wait until next season. Uh, yeah, I just I, mean, I, I can't I'm, really see any as as brilliantly as the under 18s are getting on in in the league this season, which you know that they'll you know they're, they're riding roughshod over just about every team. It's really really difficult to pinpoint a player, especially where United haven't got any European commitments. It, it would have to be you know the, the, the final game of the season would have to be a dead rubber, I think, for there to be a chance. And I, the way it's going, I just can't see that happening. I mean, United qualified for the Champions League last season with only one game to spare and even in that final game against Fulham it's you know got to got to have Fred starting because he's likely to start in the FA Cup final got to give Sancho minutes because he's likely to start in the FA Cup final and he's doing quite well it it wasn't like let's let's just play the kids as they did three days before the Europa League final under Mourinho which there was absolutely method in because it was just three days before the game that their season hinged on but it 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 is it would be different if United had say United gets the FA Cup final and their final game of the season at Brighton is um is is a dead rubber. I I still think Ten Hag would probably not necessarily be strong armed into just putting a player on there to to get a two hundred fiftieth uh, to to make them the two hundred fiftieth player. They've also got to earn it as well. And of course, as you said last night, um, Sam Mather has he's been quite present in first team training sessions of late and then you look at Charlie McNeil who wasn't starting last night and spent last season sorry the first half of the season on loan at Stevenage and he came back so that didn't go to plan and United said quite early on that he would be staying with them and I just thought well that that seems to me like he's just going to be the the opposition striker in in training sessions because Ten Hag spoke about after the Villa game how McTominay is is great playing for the opponents in in training matches so they must yeah they, they must line up that way which which is of course is logical but Charlie McNeil's not even I, I've not seen him even in in training images and that that includes last Monday I, th- I think course, he had an injury I think he had a little knock because he was absent from the Norwich game a few weeks ago he was absent from that squad he played 10 minutes against Chelsea the game before that but then he was absent so that would explain things he was obviously a substitute last night and he came on which was nice to see him back I think the thinking behind that as well is after a bad loan experience I'm not saying it was bad um, but he didn't he wasn't involved much at all he was absent from a few squads and with Stevenage you just get him around the first team again 
get enjoyed in football again. And, yeah, and kind of put an arm around him. I think that's the thinking, perhaps, probably. Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. It would it would be a lot more logical for him to be in first team training sessions because he is he's the only other recognisable striker. Um, the next he's the next one along from from Hoyland, so it, it would be completely logical for him to be involved. And of course, he he did make his debut under Ten Hag against Real Sociedad last season. And this this is not. This is quite a thin squad that United have at the moment, deliberately so, because there are no European um, commitments. And this month it's been one game per week. I know that will change next week with the, the cup tie against Forest on the Wednesday and then the derby on the Sunday. But that's that's an anomaly, really, from then on to uh, the, the March internationals. It's one game a week again. And that will probably be the case for, for most of the rest of the season with with the odd exception probably dependent on the odd match being postponed if indeed they do continue to progress in in the FA Cup at which point you know that the league fixture gets moved to a, a, a midweek slot if if they get to the quarter final and and or the semi final but just in terms of the going back to the point as to the the, the, the players which player that could be i still think it's you know, I think a lot would have to happen for that that 250th player to to emerge this season. Um, but you know, when when it does happen, it, it will be great. It it probably should have happened against Wigan because Hugo was on the bench that night, and he he would have been given the how dominant United were. And I know they should have should have scored a lot more goals, and they were particularly profligate. But it wouldn't have been any harm to to bring him on. I mean, I think Hannibal Meshbury came on in that game. Uh, Facundo Palestri might have come on in that game as well. And of course, those two went out on loan uh, in, in January. And I don't think there's much chance of them really getting a look in at United again in the in the near future. I said exactly what you've said to this. Um, I'm speaking to an academy graduate, I'll not name who, um, for, for a future soon. And he kind of mentioned that he wasn't sure if he could speak to us because the club are planning something for the 250th anniversary. And he asked me when I thought it might be. And I said, to be honest, now it'll probably be autumn. Uh, later on this year for for the exact reasons. from Broadhurst Park, the home of FC United. If you've joined us from the Manchester is Red podcast, thanks for listening. If you're watching us on YouTube, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're here tonight ahead of FC United playing Vinsky, a Parisian team in the Fenix Trophy, the third year of the Fenix Trophy, FC United's third year here. It is a European tournament for fan-owned clubs, essentially, or clubs with a, a special kind of interest in Europe. So the Parisian side tonight are... Essentially, they've been described to me as a Parisian hashtag United. FC United, we all know their relevance. They've been big in this competition from the get-go as a, a fan-owned club. They won this competition in the first year. Last year, they were beaten somewhat surprisingly in the semi-finals, but still played the third and fourth place playoff in the San Siro. An incredible experience for FC United. A few hundred FC United fans in the San Siro. So an, an interesting and a special uh, tournament. And while Manchester United may not be in Europe for the second half of this season, FC United still are.
I'm joined now by Leo Aliotta from Brera FC, the club who founded the Fenex Trophy. Uh, taking a break from it this year, but Leo is, is still heavily involved in the organisation. We're into the third year now of the Fenex Trophy. Leo, um, how have you seen its growth over the last three years? Is it as big as you expected it to be? Well, I say it's uh, exceeding the expectations because we, when we started in 2020, with eight clubs and a lot of uncertainty because it was in the second wave of the of the COVID pandemic. So we were not even sure we would start to be here after three years with more clubs. And in total, we involved 20 clubs. I wasn't expecting this and I'm looking to increase the number as we, as we keep on going. So I think it's amazing. So what we have here is a European football competition, but for teams outside of league football. But we wanted to know, how on earth did they come up with that concept? And how does it work? A non-professional football is considered a layman version of professional football. And in a way, non-professional football clubs don't have a reference model to look up to. Um, and the diving idea we had was that non-professional football and professional football, they look alike, just like a tiger and a cat, but they're not the same. They may pertain to the same species, but they are very different. And if you feed a cat a lot, it doesn't become a tiger, it just becomes a fat cat. So, um, so we wanted to find clubs that, um, just like FC United of Manchester now, they are playing in the seventh division in England. If they were playing the fifth, in the ninth, it wouldn't matter the identity of the club, the essence of the club. So uh, we found the models of club very different, very diverse, uh, because we don't want to show just a one-sided model. We are not saying like, fan ownership is important, but it's not the only thing that matters, for instance. We look for clubs that are create, actively creating, uh, actively using their activity in non-professional football to create some uh, added value, uh, to create a community around them, to uh, in a way, not just do football for football's sake. It's important to have an awareness of the importance of football, of the effect that it can have, not just on the 22 people playing, but also on the surroundings, the, the, the coaches, the, the managers, the, the fans and everything. But it shouldn't be, especially in non-professional football, all about the football result. So the beauty of the Phoenix Trophy is that it's not just about creating the biggest, most successful football team. It's about bringing teams together who have a story, who have a community, and bringing them to compete, make friends, not millionaires. So we thought it'd be a great idea to catch up with the matchday secretary, Adrian Seddon, who can tell us a bit more about the logistics of a non-league football team competing in Europe. 2021 when we were approached by the Italian team saying they had this ideal about a, a European Cup for, for semi-pro and amateur teams. We weren't allowed out of the house at the time. We were under lockdown conditions. I thought they were mad at first, but the more we looked at it, the more we thought, actually, this stacks up. Uh, and as a club, FC United, since we've been formed, we, we've tried to go away in Europe every year because our fans were active Manchester United following fans who used to go away in Europe. And that's probably the thing that they missed the most about walking away from Old Trafford. Um, they certainly didn't miss the sterile atmosphere that you get often at Old Trafford these days. It was the European trips. So we've had some great, listen, we've had some great occasions over the years. We've, we've played at the Olympic Stadium in Stockholm. We've played um, San Pauli. We've been to America to play Detroit. But what we hadn't done is play a competitive game. They were friendlies and they're, they're great. They're fun end of season friendlies. But this offered us a structured, competitive edge to playing away in Europe. So that's what really appealed to us. Uh, playing like-minded teams, um, getting to travel around Europe, learning from those clubs, making new friendships. But at the end of the day, 
there's a trophy to be won. As a club, we have to pay for our flights and then it's the host club that pays for the hotels. So, yeah, it's not easy. Sometimes players, not every player can take time off. And at times, yeah, we've had, we've had, we bought flights for players and then they get injured a week before the game. And as a non-league team, we can't afford to suddenly pay 500 quid to change a flight at a week's notice. So our kit man, who, who's played Manchester League level, um, he always comes and, and away from home, he's actually ended up on the bench at most of our away games this year and come on. So, you know, that's the sort of thing you have to do to make it work, but we make it work. You know, we're doing this on a day when the Premier League have given approval for Sir Jim Ratcliffe's investment into United. That's obviously a talking point still at this club. You mentioned your own links to Manchester United. A lot of people here are, are Manchester United fans who, who moved away in, in 2005. Is that kind of a talking point now that, that Glazers are going what's kind of the feeling around the club we were the original protest I think for for what happened back in 2005 I think we still remain a relevant protest today we're still a welcome um, house for, for Manchester United fans who don't feel they can go to Old Trafford now for some it's because they've been priced out of Old Trafford for others it's because they disagree with Glazers for others because they can't afford um, they, they don't like the fact that games are changed at very short notice you know, um, you know if, you're a, if you're a parent now with two or three kids can you afford to take them there's a lot of reasons why people can't go to Old Trafford and we remain as the alternative but we are a protest against the Glazer regime every year that we play we remind everyone that you know there is a protest against the Glazers Radcliffe has come in but he's only bought a minority share. The Glazers are still there. The Glazers aren't going anywhere, I don't think, for any time soon because of the money that they're able to make. It's not because they love Manchester United. We know that. It's because of the money they can make. So the problems we had with the Glazers remain relevant today. The debt's still there. The stadium's still falling to pieces because there's no investment in the stadium and the Glazers are going nowhere. I think if you ask people who they would have preferred, uh, the, the Qataris or, or the Glazers, I think you know it's the least bad deal as far as we're concerned for Manchester United but it's not the best deal it's the least bad and I think that says a lot and that's why we still remain relevant to Manchester United fans today So with all that and the fact that you can follow a team like FC United a non-league team in a European competition how does that affect younger fans? Is there an appetite for Premier League clubs or is this club much more appealing? I've always supported him since I was really young. My dad was a massive fan and so my mum was a quite a big fan, so I've always followed them. Yeah, there's never really temptation to watch United because you can always watch that on TV, but you feel like you're a part of it here. I feel like you're an actual supporter instead of being a person who's like owned by the Glazers or whoever owns Man City and things. I think there's a there's a tactileness to it, there's a kind of texture to it. You, you come to these grounds and I know most people by face in this place by now, there's something familiar to that. It's visceral, the atmosphere is obviously right on top of the pitch and it's, uh, there's a community to it as well and you know, people doing things for the right reasons and people doing things because they can do it, which I guess is the beauty of the Phoenix Trophy as well. But um, a real kind of DIY punk ethos of um, we don't like the way it's being done elsewhere, so we'll just do it ourselves. And that is the beauty of non-league football. It's punky, it's community-driven, everybody mucks in and we just get on with it and do it ourselves. And to be able to support a team and go into a European competition must be so mouth-watering for local supporters. And it must attract more supporters as well, seeing foreign teams coming here to Manchester, away from the Giants, as well as being able to travel to Europe. But before we finish, we wanted to speak to the manager. We wanted to hear what is it like managing a team at non-league especially when you find out you're going to be competing in Europe. I mean, is it still a pinch-yourself moment when you're leading FC United to Poland, when, when you're going, you know, going to these places and, and playing these games? It's, it's, it's pretty surreal still, isn't it? I mean, I just literally goosebumps run up my back when you said it then, you know, and, and whether or not you've got to... When you talk ramming off the place we've been to, Poland, Rimini, Belgium, 
Milan uh, playing the San Siro, you know, Paris is coming up, uh, Krakow. It's, it's staggering that some of these places that we get the opportunity to visit as non-league footballers. Uh, and when, when we saw the draw come out and two places that were desperate to go to was, was Krakow and, and Paris, you know, we get them both in our group. So, yes, we're going to entertain the Paris side tonight, but then we get the opportunity to go out there and uh, see the culture and experience the culture, but also give a chance for our fans to go and travel to places that they've been before in European football with Manchester United, but now they're doing it for FC United. So it, it, you never take for granted. You know, it, it's a spectacular competition. And the amount of the amount of funding that's going into it now, the amount of... Uh, kind of the exposure that he's getting he's, he's just it's incredible I'll, I'll never forget when Adrian said and said to me would you how would you fancy managing FC United across Europe and I didn't know what to expect and now we're in our third year uh, and we're going to be into our fourth year next year so it's a, it's a unique opportunity and one that I'm immensely proud of doing we're not just here to make up numbers the competition's about making friends not millionaires celebrating fan old football but it's also when you cross that white line about wanting to win and you know we didn't take it lightly not winning the competition last year we don't have a divine right, but this year we, we want to come back with a bang and, and win it. Charlie Munro to the edge of the box. Munro! 4-1. And all of a sudden, the scoreline rather flat as FC. That's full-time at Broadhurst Park. FC United 4-1 winners against Vinsky from Paris in the Fenex Trophy. The European competition about making friends off the pitch, but it seems no one told the players a very physical, very entertaining game here tonight. Uh, as much entertainment as the Champions League probably had to offer. FC United 1-0 down at half-time. Savinsky's only attack eventually pulled it back to one all. Two players sent off, one for either side after the goal for a bit of scrapping in the goal mouth. Uh, Vinsky, incredibly physical team. Their, their coaching staff complained about virtually every decision. Uh, somehow managed to keep 10 men onto the pitch in the end. FC United missed a penalty at 1-1 with five or six minutes to go and still run out 4-1 winners in the end. I think the fitness and then the... And the uh, the, the physicality sort of showed in the end and, and Vinsky ran out of legs but a very entertaining game two in from two for FC United in the group they've got uh, the Dragoons from Krakow here in a couple of weeks and then a return trip to Paris so stay across FC United social channels for updates from the Fenex Trophy uh, stay across our social media channels for more features like this do let us know in the comments what you made of this if you're tempted to come and attend an FC United game a Fenex Trophy game uh, and that's all for now we'll, uh, we'll hand you back to the studio and we'll see you soon thank you very much for your time Simon Rough and ready. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> and I hope the listeners have enjoyed this podcast. If you have, leave her a five-star review. And me and Samuel will be back on Friday later in the week. Take care.